This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable. Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. At Progressive, we know there's nothing like the feeling of riding a motorcycle with your crew on the open road. That symphony of engines roaring in perfect harmony. It's a feeling that would be impossible to recreate on the radio. Until now. Hit it, Jerry. Oh, my word. Really, really terrible. Was that a glockenspiel, Jerry? Quote with Progressive and see if you could save with America's number one motorcycle insurer. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Uh, no, no, Jerry. It's over. podcast this is a um, slightly different um, show to what we normally do um, the last few weeks or so if you're on Twitter uh, you've probably seen there's a, a, a guy called Ollie Bayliss who's a reporter for three counties radio and he reports on non-league and he has been fighting the fight for the lower league clubs um, due this covid um, situation which is ongoing where football fans are obviously not allowed yeah, within stadiums so uh, we thought it would be a good idea really to get Ollie on the show and just hear firsthand really how much this is affecting the lower league we know how much it's affecting our league um, and just really get a bit of an insight so welcome to the show Ollie good afternoon good afternoon thank you for, for inviting me on that's no, a pleasure. I mean, you have you have really, really been um, fighting a fight for the for the non-league uh, arena. Obviously, you are a um, a reporter for for that journal for that side of it. So, how dire is it for them? Yeah, it's been really difficult, and it's since since March, and it's it's the same for the Premier League. It's the same for EFL as well. It's it's 
the way these clubs make money is by getting fans through the turnstile. It's by selling a beer and a burger at half time, a raffle ticket program, and filling clubhouses as well, even on non-match days. You know, over the summer, we would have had Euro 2020 in a normal world. So over the summer, they'd have filled clubhouses for that and for events as well, summer football festivals, all that, all that kind of stuff. Without that, clubs have been really struggling financially. And... We're now in this sort of bit of a divided period in non-league where clubs in the National League still not allowed fans. They're bracketed in with the Premier League and the EFL, the, the, the National League, National League North and South. So they're not allowed spectators at the moment. So we're waiting on news that the government are going to hopefully come up with a support package to help them to let them start the season. For clubs a bit lower down, they are allowed fans. But actually, you, your timing is bang on with this podcast because literally within the last half an hour, Three clubs that, that sit at the level below the National League North and South. So FC United, Manchester, Scarborough Athletic and South Shields have all written to the government and written a big public open letter signed as well by the FSA and, and a couple of local MPs saying that, that they're still struggling. They're allowed 600 fans, but they normally would be looking at crowds of 1,000 up to 2,000 for a home game. That's what they budgeted for for the season. You know, that's ultimately what they're... They're going to be calculating in terms of player wages and stuff like that. At the moment, yeah, they're out 600 pounds, that's better than nothing. But there's no other financial support for them. Whereas the National League at the moment, it looks like they're going to get quite a decent government bailout. Maybe around about 3 million, something like that. Maybe just over a month going to National League clubs to help them when they mm. haven't got fans. Just but the clubs lower down seem to be a little bit forgotten. That's the problem though, isn't it? Where'd you go from that? You, you don't go anywhere from there, though, do you? That's the problem. Um, they can't run on 30%. No. And some, some clubs at that level can. You know, if you look at clubs further down, and the, the majority of non-league clubs, uh, 30% of their capacity is pretty much what they would get anyway, if not below. So there are clubs that are, that are fine with these. But I think it's important that we don't, we don't forget the clubs that that are struggling due to this capacity, you know, clubs like, like Barry AFC that have formed over the summer as a Phoenix club for, for Barry AFC. They're sitting at the sixth tier in non-league football. So they're now 300 fans. Now, a new club in Barry, the only club in Barry at the moment that's, that's playing football and representing that community, they're now 300 fans. I'd imagine they could sell, sell a thousand plus tickets to a home game in Barry AFC, but at the moment, they're being limited by that capacity number. And there's a risk that those clubs are going to be forgotten about a little bit in these negotiations with the Premier League and with the EFL and with the National League all this bailout money there's clubs that are further down that are struggling as well they're always going to struggle because the Premiership don't really care about them um, the EFL to a rule don't really care about them they care about their clubs um, and yeah you are looking at clubs what are potentially been around for a lot, a lot of years um, vital parts of the community you know, many weddings, christenings, bar mixtures, parties have been held in club houses up and down the country um, and they're vital, you know, causes for it. But, yeah, the problem is is that if they don't get some funding or don't be allowed to have more people in, um, they're going to fold. It's the same as, you know, EFL Premier. If they, you know, they can't run on 30%. Um, they need probably 60% minimum to, to be able to run even. Yeah, no, you're, you're absolutely right. To, to an extent, the Premier League, there's a bit of TV money sloshing about. There's a lot of TV money sloshing around on that. Premier League, uh, to a point, all right, aren't they, without fans to a degree? But you go down the leagues and 
into the AFL that the TV money isn't enough to sustain this club. So it's all about fans. And it looks like you know, three months, six months without fans, maybe the rest of the season, without any decent number of fans anyway, you know, a thousand would be helpful, but it isn't going to fund, you know, your big clubs in the championship, is it? So it's going to fall on the shoulders of the government, the Premier League. Where else is this money going to come from? The Premier League, I think, uh, are asking for way too many conditions, which I think, you know, if people bow down and, and, and take, you know, the loan, and it shouldn't be a loan, it should be given funding. In fact, what the Premier League should do is invest in lower, in grassroots football all the way up and, and use the pyramid, what they talk about, which isn't really there. It's it's a pyramid with a separation with the top, of, top clubs. Um that should be where, you know, and look at taking players rather than looking to buy players from abroad. I mean, you know, there's rumours going around that they want a condition put on, um, which again is, you know, it's it's not it's not been confirmed as such. But Telegraph and, and I think the Times are doing it over the last day or so where the Premier want to be able to bring 16-year-old kids in from outside the EU um, and get them into the playing setup. When you've got Premiership teams having elite five-year-olds um, you just know that uh, football's going down the wrong route when at least at the league what you watch it's not about money it's about passion and wanting to play for that club yeah definitely and that's that's what appeals to me about non-league you know it's, it's players that are playing for sometimes no money sometimes you know a little bit of money a little bit of beer money but it's it's people playing for the passion of playing with their mates or representing the community or playing for a club that you know, has history and heritage and that their parents and grandparents are involved in. It's, for me anyway, it's, you know, it's raw, proper, muddy football. And, and there's certainly that within, you know, the, the AFL and the Football League structures still. The Premier League is, is I agree with you, it feels like it's becoming a, a slightly different entity and, and maybe it was, you know, back in the 90s when it, it split off. But I think it's hard to imagine that the Premier League are just going to dish out money out of the goodness of their own heart there they're looking after themselves and they're operating in a different sort of stratosphere financially. But when we hear of staff being laid off at Arsenal, we hear of, you know, Spurs looking at using the furlough scheme. These are clubs that there's might be six extra noughts on their, their budget sheet, but they're still having to sort of balance the book and look after their own commercial interests. And it's hard to imagine that they're just going to vote to hand out a load of money. And yeah, we hear that there are conditions that are being discussed. And I, for one, would be very concerned about any sort of situation where we look at B teams being introduced into the EFL or anything like that. I know that's one that's been suggested. I've got no way of knowing if that is one that is seriously being looked at. But I think the majority of us who are fans of the pyramid or what's left of it, grassroots football, don't want to see a Man City or an Arsenal or a Chelsea B team sitting in League One. I think one of the things to be celebrated about English football is the, the depth of it. The fact that you've got such a pyramid and such a ladder and that you know, a club in the, the seventh tier of, of non-league football, you know, the 11th tier of English football is connected to the Premier League. And if they win enough games, they can go all the way up to, to that level, all the way back down again. That's that's the thing that's almost uniquely kind of English about our football system. And that, to me, is something we should desperately be trying to preserve. I totally agree. I mean, you know, you're in the bottom league of, of football league. Realistically, if you have the right results, the right money, the right backing, 15, 20 years down the line, you could be in the Premiership. Um, you know, it's very, very far and few between, but, you know, um, AFC Wimbledon, um, you know, uh, Lights, they've, they've managed to, to climb back up the ladder. Um, 
as such and, and, and come up the league. So, you know, it is possible. But if we don't get teams back like they're saying, and they're saying March, potentially, if we go on that six months, how many non-league teams do you think will go to the wall? I think we, we've already lost some, and I think we will. In the National League, I think the options are either we get government funding that is enough to cover all those costs, at which point you know, they can start playing, and, and there isn't a massive issue. Yes, it's sad that we're missing fans and they, they want them back, but if the government are going to cover those costs, then fine, they're fine to, to carry on. Lower down, there needs to be a bit of government support for certain clubs, otherwise they're going to struggle. And I think the worry is that we... We've got fans at the moment, but we're already seeing with local lockdowns in the northeast, northwest, fans are being advised not to attend games. You know whether that becomes a hard and fast rule. If fans are stopped attending non-league football, clubs can't continue to to play because they can't pay their players, they can't pay their maintenance costs. I think at the moment, getting the budget to make it work. But what's frustrating is that we have players that are able to play in the national league. We've got players that are on full-time contracts. Same in the EFL that's that's gotten the way that. The product is there, as it were. These players are going to be playing football. They're allowed to play football. And the fans are there. And the fans want to spend their hard-earned cash to support their team and to watch football. It's a moment. We can't marry those two things up. And the fans can't get into the stadiums to spend their money in the kind of organic way that supports football for, for a long time at that level. And it's working out a way of doing that. And, and streaming works to a, to a point. And the National League are going to start doing that from this weekend. But it's not the same. If you... You're a family of four and you go to football, you might spend, you know, 60 quid at the gate, you might spend 10, 20 quid on on beers and chips and, and whatever. You know, that becomes 80 quid for a club. At most, you're going to stream that in your front room and you're going to pay 10 pounds for that stream. It, it exactly. doesn't equate that out. And if we're being honest, people watch non-league football and, and parts of the football league pyramid as well for for the atmosphere, for for an afternoon with their mates, for you know, for a day out, you're not necessarily attending football at that level as much as I love it, but the pure quality of the game and, and that alone, and actually how many people are going to sit and watch a, a National League North game on one still camera, maybe no commentary, no sound because there's no crowd there, in that sort of sterile environment, I think that will wear thin quite quickly. I think football at that level is followed because it's an event, it's a day out, it's affordable, and it's a a good laugh with your mates and you know it's not 100 percent anyway about watching the, the sort of quality of the game it's it's that environment isn't it and that's what we're missing in the football league in the premier league and, and in the national league it's a community and it is that it's that you work monday to friday to go to football you in you know that that releases in an hour and a half two hours or three hours around the game the, the the drinking the meeting and everything else i mean we're being told through sources that um it's got nothing to do with the pitch. It's got nothing to do with the grounds. The, the the reason that the government don't necessarily want fans back in the grounds are the exit and, and entrance strategies. They don't want fans meeting in pubs before the games. They're worried about numbers there. But to be fair, people are meeting in pubs now. So I don't see how they can use that as a, as a strategy. Most clubs will have a strategy. I know that Millwall's talked about, you know, if they can get fans in, they close the doors, or, you know, when people are leaving... They close the local train station so that people then obviously disperse um, completely different, go various stations, trains, buses, etc., etc. So that you're not going to have the big crowds. But the problem is, is that if this continues, and and this is across the whole of football, um, 
you're going to have people who go, actually, I've saved a lump of money now. I'm not spending this amount every month. I'm not, you know, I'm not having to do this. I'm not traveling up and down the country. I'm, I've got my Saturday back. I can, you know, I can watch it on the telly. I can watch the highlights, whichever way you want to do it. And then you've then got a problem of retaining your customers, which you had week in, week out throughout the season to suddenly now you're actually looking at a whole different way of PR to try and get these people back through your doors, which I don't know if, if football as a business is set up for that. Yeah, you're absolutely spot on. What do they say, three months to, to break a habit? And we've been well beyond that. And there are clearly people who are going to miss it and are desperate to get back. But there are also people, or your families or your kids or people that have, you know, taken to gardening when they can't go to football. And then suddenly they think, oh, actually, I quite enjoyed that. I can't really be bothered. You're right to, to travel up to, to Carlisle this Saturday to, to do that. I'll, I'll, you know, stick around. There are other things I can do on my Saturday. Um, and yeah, I'm sure that is already happening. And similarly in the non-league game, I know players that that were, you know, sort of early 30s, say, and have played non-league all their life and were, were planning to play for a few more years. They've had lockdown, they've had their Saturdays back, they've done something else the weekends, and they thought, actually, I've, you know, I've lost my fitness. I don't really fancy going through all that sort of pre-season running around anymore. I don't really fancy it. I'm going to leave it. And we're going to lose people from the game that way. Same with kids that, have been playing and now luckily at the moment we've got back to playing again grassroots kids level but yeah you're gonna you're gonna lose people aren't you? people are gonna lose interest they're gonna find something else or people uh, are genuinely still scared some people are, are, you know and it's any people so you've got every reason to be of, of catching coronavirus it's safe to return to football not something we're seeing non-league at the moment is, is clubs that aren't hitting their capacity it's encouraging people in that community to get back out and go to games and, and that it's as safe as it can be to attend games. That's that's the battle as well. I think it's the same, you know, you can go to a supermarket, you can go to a pub, you can go to a restaurant, you can go, Christ, you can go to Thorpe Park. I mean, you know, the news yesterday, I can go to the Albert Hall and sit inside a building um, with loads of people I don't know. Um, hopefully all these premises will be using track and trace correctly or um, have arrangements with track and trace. The benefit you have at football is, is probably 90, 95% of the people what will probably be allowed back into the grounds will be, their full details will be known to the club, um, especially in the in the EFL, um, the top level in the Premier League. They will be all on CCTV. You can see if there was an outbreak, who they spoke to and be able to tell those people to isolate with track and trace. Um, it's just, I, I can't get my head around why the government's given 1.57 billion um, to the arts and yet football, nothing, because I think they look at football as in one, I think the establishment looks at football fans as naughty people and two, I think that they think that football as a whole is so rich um, through the FA, etc., that they just don't need the money. I think there's, there's an element of truth in that, there's an element of, at the moment, we're seeing the government point the finger at the Premier League and ask them to fund the EFL, whereas I think they can sell it to the public that they're going to prop up the National League and make that seen as, as grassroots league, and that's maybe the right thing the government is. It's sort of COVID secure and these sort of preparation funds that there has been your right to significant money in the sort of grand scheme of uh, government budgets, I guess they've got an awful lot of things to, 
to try and prop up an awful lot of things to try and look after. And there is a lot of money sloshing around in the Premier League. If the Premier League can be persuaded to, you know, part with some of that, then it means the government and the taxpayer has to pay slightly less, I suppose. Yeah, I mean, you, when you look at money, you think that the bottom, the bottom of the Premier League table gets 100 million in TV revenue and then you're looking at clubs in the championship get six million. Um, there's such a a vast gap between the two. It's unbelievable. I mean, you done a you done a podcast this week, what you and separately, but you and Michael Calvin was on, and obviously Michael Calvin's um, a good power to show and and a good power for Millwall fans as well. But he he turned around and said, you know, the the TV structure at the moment is not going to stay like that forever because he he's saying you know which is right more people now don't want to watch 90 minutes of football on sky they're quite happy with having a four seven minute catch up on their phone on the way to work the next morning so you know your whole audience is going to be going towards streaming it's going to be going towards you know mobile phone all, all that technology which means that this whole way they're looking at at the moment with the tv revenue is just going to come to a crashing stop and then the likes of Amazon, Google, et cetera, are going to start taking over with doing streaming and, and everything else. So Sky really, it is, it's had its old golden egg for, for many years and that might not be around for much longer. Yeah, I thought, I thought Michael Calvin made, made some interesting points in that podcast talking about, yeah, you're right, how many people are sitting down and watching 90 minutes of, of a game for, for maybe a team that they don't support. You know, it used to be the case that you'd have one Champions League game on a week on, on ITV maybe and I wouldn't support the teams that are involved but I'd sit and watch it because it was that televised yeah. game now there's so much option and, and right people don't have the, the attention to that I prefer to watch you know a three minute highlights from different Champions League games say you know you're right the morning after rather than sort of sitting through 90 minutes I, I think to a point and maybe I, I think TV companies can look to slightly change their model and it it's becoming more about access, becoming about that extra thing, becoming about that, the rights to that sort of behind the scenes footage. We're seeing it in the sort of documentaries and I know that, you know, it's slightly different to the TV sort of funding model, but things like that, there's, there's maybe an appetite for that. And we've seen as well as a result of COVID that the more they can stretch the fixtures and the more that they can make, you know, all 10 Premier League games kick up at a different time, televise all of those, there's still kind of more to be squeezed out of the Premier League in terms of things that the, the TV broadcasters want and that are able to show, you know, half-time interviews, mic'd up players, there's all these other kind of things that have been explored at various times and maybe there's a little bit more still that can be taken from from the Premier League and from football and, and shown and, and monetised, I think. Yeah, five substitutes, drink breaks and various bits and pieces. I mean, it'll all, you know, it, 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 it's all there for the advertising. I mean, realistically, Sky could turn around and say, you know what, on all football advertising over the next three months, we're going to donate the money back to, you know, or a large percentage of it back to grassroots football, back to football as a whole. And it would help these people. I mean, you know, £100,000 to a lower league club would help them out for years. Yet we're talking about, you know, a hundred million just for TV rights for a premiership club what's going to finish and then they get parachute payments when they come down and then you know they're over three years etc I mean we're talking really um, you know toy town money for a lower league they would never in a million years know what to do with that money if, they, if someone come and gave them a cheque for a hundred million pounds so I think you know 
I think there's a vast difference between top and bottom. And I think that's been done over the last 20, 30 years with the separation of the premiership. I think the championship now is looking to try and go along that route. Um, will there be a super club breakaway at some point? Possibly because they want to take all that money for themselves again. It's that self-serving um, benefit. But coming back, obviously, to where you cover, fans who aren't necessarily going to see Arsenal, Tottenham, Man United, you know, the Premiership, the, the Championship teams, the Tottenham, you know, Millwalls, the, the, um, you know, the Lutons, et cetera, et cetera. Um, where can they go? Where can they find out whether or not, because some of them might not even know there's a local football team near them. Um, where can they find out about that? And, um, you know, I suppose right now, these clubs, what are having fans in, would love to have new fans in. Yeah, yeah, you're absolutely, you're absolutely right. There are plenty of clubs that are desperate to get more fans, and if people are slightly sick of the the sort of you know world of VAR and, and technology and the five subs, you know, come on league, you're lucky you've got three subs named on the bench that are fit and available. You know, it's a lot more raw experience, but it's one without you know without technology, it's one that you can you know you can you can have a beer. Well, I've slightly changed clubhouse rules now, but generally, you know, you can have a beer on the sidelines, and you know, you can. You can park easy and you can get home at five o'clock. You know, there's a lot to be said for the non-league football. Um, there's plenty of really good good websites. Non-league matters is a really good website. Um, football ground map is another one. Uh, Footballogy is a really good sort of ground popping app that will take your location and and work out sort of what local games there are the next day based on where you are. That's a really good one. Uh, there's a website called Let Fans In as well, where you can just type in your postcode and it'll bring up the nearest ten non-league clubs to you. That's a really good one as well. There's loads, loads of non-league. Clubs. So if you if you could possibly share me with those um those links and whatnot, then I'll put them on the show notes on this. Um, I think realistically, you know, the the part of it where I can't get my head around is Germany, France, Hungary, NFL, all over the world are letting fans back in the stadiums, but for some unknown reason, we're not. And throughout this whole COVID journey. And, and, you know, I'm not talking Tin Hat Brigade or anything else, but throughout this whole COVID process, we've done things either different to other countries, late to other countries, or we do stuff which just doesn't make any sense. Um, I don't see any issue that if Germany can have a full stadium, why can't we? They're, they're working out with how many in per 100,000 seems to be a good... Um, a good strategy to work with. I see that our, while we've been on the on the call, um, that our rate in the UK has gone up from 1.3 to 1.6 or between 1.3, 1.6 on this R rating. No one really knows what the R rating means, but if you've got Germany and France letting teams, I mean, UEFA's now announced that they'll allow fans back into all games, apart from obviously if it takes place in the UK. What's frustrating to me, and I was looking at this yesterday, is that... that Track and trace when when someone tests positive COVID, they, they're starting asking, What have you been doing in the last few days? What activities have you been doing? In order to get, it's a very rough picture, but an idea of the sort of things and places people have been going before they've caught COVID. But they're not categorizing them in a particularly specific way. So, you know, eating out is one, and eating out is, is a big one, actually, top of the, top of the list. Um, but attending football games or playing football just falls under this really broad other category at the bottom. And what would be brilliant is if they're asking these specific questions, if they could log or categorise them in a way that we would know, because people are attending football out non-league in, in their thousands. If if a thousand people in the last week tested positive COVID, having been to football, 
previous Tuesday night, then we need to know that because football isn't safe. But if that number is zero and nobody who's attending football is contracting COVID in the next few days, that'd be really helpful stuff to know as well. Because if we know that, we can then make a scientific case that football is one of the most safe activities. And actually, maybe going shopping or going eating is far less safe than going to football. And if we can make that argument and prove that, then I think that goes a long way to encouraging the authorities to, to start letting fans back in. And what's frustrating is those questions are being asked by Track and Trace. They're being logged in a way that is particularly helpful for football at the moment. So again, I'll, I'll put a link on the show notes here. Um, and, you know, we're looking maybe trying to get a letter or we just leave the link there for now is that email your, email your local MP, email your local council people um, and, and ask them, you know, what's being done regarding track and trace for people who want to go football, people who are going football. Is there, is there records? Because, again, the way this all works is if you don't ask the questions, people will never answer them for you. And if they don't have to answer them, then they're, psych, they're sidestep you and, and and just keep concentrating on something else and, and pretty much just putting a fog in front of you so that, you know, they'll either confuse you or they just won't bother answering. Um, there is a petition now started, um, not by us, but we are heavily pushing it. Um, and and that's about calling for fans to get back into into the grounds. All... all all um all sections of of football um it is starting to grow legs there's a lot of big people who are who are starting to retweet it uh the peterborough um owner has uh has retweeted it you know razor ruddock has retweeted it sit on even is uh is pushed it and and loads of other uh names unfortunately as of yet the likes of gary Lineker and right etc etc don't seem to have done a lot but you know at the end of the day, it is what it is, and and hopefully they just maybe haven't seen it yet, and they will see it soon. I think if we can get those numbers up, it's going to be a challenge. Hundred thousand people to get it forced into a debate in Parliament is a is of a hell of a lot. But you know, figures from last year suggest that there's something like thirty three million people watch football in the UK, um, and if we can get one percent of that, we're well over our target. We're not asking for miracles. Um, but I think it's a time where football fans up and down the country, regardless of what team, what level you support, need to stand together. Um, and if you want to keep hold of your football team, now's the time to stand up and make your voice heard. Because otherwise, once it's gone, it ain't coming back. Um, and that's the biggest problem we've got. And, you know, football without fans isn't football. And, you know... The people who are in charge of your club are only there as custodians. If they, you know, crash your club, nine times out of ten they disappear, and your club's left there to do an AFC type um, rebuild again, which is normally done by the fans um, and the people closest to it who've actually got ties into it. So, but coming to, you know, let's look at starting to wrap this up. Is in what's your, you know, is there anything that you want to? Um, say before we we close down and whatnot i think the the power of people has, has already made it a big difference you're right in talking about petitions and and to an extent other sports are almost looking enviously at, at football to an extent football was played a lot earlier than a lot of other sports football fans are able to attend at, at non-league ahead of a lot of other sports as well and and um, this funding for the national league appears to be coming ahead of funding for, for other sports so already 
to an extent, the football community has come together. And actually, I think if there's anything to sort of take out of this period positively is that actually football fans have kind of got together, different supporters from different clubs have come together and have tried to make their voice heard. You know, it hasn't worked yet in terms of fans returning to, to elite football stadiums, but it did work in, to an extent to get fans back to, to non-league. You know, that pressure, we, we've seen MPs stand up and stick up for their, their local non-league clubs and their local football league clubs. It has been raised, you know, in, the, in government following Prime Minister's questions this week. Tracy Crouch MP, you know, and lots of our colleagues quizzed Nigel Huddleston for a good hour this week talking about the situation with sport. So the profile has raised, has been raised, and I think it's been quite heartening to see football fans sort of across the whole pyramid come together and try and uh, try and collectively make their voice heard. And so far, it has been heard to a degree, but I agree, you know, there is plenty more lobbying to to come over the next few months. Football fans as a whole are. You know, if if every football fan sent an email to an MP in their constituents lobbying them about what you're doing, I think you would you would cause a lot of noise. Um, and I think that if plenty of people in the constituency start getting on the back of these MPs and start saying to them, you know, what are you personally? What are you doing to help the clubs in 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 your constituents in your local area you represent? What are you doing? Um, and MPs never like being questioned, never like to be asked what they're doing. But if you can make them, you know, make them answer you, um, make them ask the questions in Houses of Parliament, they've all got the right to ask questions. They've all got the right to ask, you know, questions across both houses. Um, I just think that they're, they're hiding behind science what necessarily isn't proven one way or another. Um, to say that it's worrying about, entrance and exit of football stadiums when me and you can go to a pub and we could sit in a pub with a couple of hundred other people who we don't know okay it's a legal requirement technically now but you know most pubs say oh can you just scan that qr code to fill out your details we might we might not um but going to football everyone knows your name you know the 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 club would know who you are. The club knows where you're coming from, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. You'll be temperature checked when you go in. There's probably going to be much more procedures um, as we go forward to because they want to make it viable. I think it's just common sense needs to take place, really. Um, and if that can if that can work, then hopefully football will be back before um, March. But at the moment, I think we're going to see a whole different way of how football operates, ranging from you know probably opening up as restaurant bars on, on away days to get fans in, possibly looking at doing screening of away games, you know, looking at pretty much turning clubs into pubs um, on away days to try and get more revenue because at the moment it's the revenue was in, you know. And yeah, I understand uh, players are being paid full um, and other people are losing their jobs. But I... I, I I don't know what to suggest. I've got no idea on how to fix this. All I can do is on the platforms, what I've got is just to put information out there and let people listen to it. And hopefully um, information, which is um, factually correct as best it can be. And then let people make up their own minds and, and hopefully jump on and support various clubs, various, um, you know, protests or, or anything else will go with it. Yeah. I think that's, I think that's spot on. I think, I think, Everyone has their own opinion and 
I think the more informed that opinion is, the the better. Um, I think football fans need to continue to be heard, and and it is about putting pressure on those in charge to make sure that these things are not going away, and that decisions need to be continually reviewed and looked at. And hopefully, we'll be at a point in a country where that that rate comes right down, and the cases come right down, and we've got more scientific evidence through track and trace that football is is looking safe. And hopefully, it will be next on the list of the things that they allow and fans can start supporting their own football clubs again financially in a kind of organic way that they have been for, for years because the best run clubs are the clubs that rely on fans but unfortunately those are the clubs at the moment that have been penalised Absolutely look if you like what Ollie um, says he does speak sense okay he's more non-league um, and then the Premiership but I believe he he has a, a Premiership team who's um, <clears throat> Arsenal um, but we'll we'll leave that one there. Um, <laughs> it's um, you can follow him on Twitter. His uh, his name is Ollie. It's L O um, O L L I E uh, underscore Bayliss, and um, I will put his um, his Twitter handle in the show notes. Everything we spoke about, the links to the various other bits and pieces, will be in the show notes, and the petition will be in the show notes. So look, you know. Any of those you can share across your media platforms, then please do so. The petition, share as far and wide as you can. That would be great. And, um, well, Ollie, thank you very much for joining us. Um, thank you very much for just a, a, a catch-up and a bit of understanding and um, and carry on your good fight, what you're doing. And, and if we can help with your retweets and stuff like we've been doing, then, uh, yeah, we'll carry on doing that. So thanks very much for your time today, Ollie. It's been my pleasure. And plus we can all meet one day back in an actual football stage. <laughs> We'll get there, we'll get there. We'll meet up in a non-league. You're more than welcome to come down. No worries, thanks very much. Right. insurance oh, that new doctor is dropped at gorgeous oh, please he's just another rv league educated surgeon with good hair no he's different nurses we got a classy motorhome with a detached driver's side mirror meet me in the or stat right away doctor. no 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 she's on break i'll handle this one. Oh, you conniving little when your rv really needs saving progressive has you covered See if you could save with a leader in RV insurance. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and affiliates covered subject to policy terms. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximize your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. 
And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable! Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely, and control vehicle at all times. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.